My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. Hello, 40-plus gay men. Here we are for another episode, and I want you all to put on your corporate suits and ties and shirts and go be good boys in the corporate arena because you don't want anybody to know your truth. And if you believe that, I'm feeding you a line of bullshit. I feel like you need to be out in the ways that make you feel most comfortable. And sometimes being in those corporate cultures, it's pretty freaking difficult. But there's also pathways. And the more we start to create the pathways and we open our hearts and we show people and educate people on, hey, guess what? We may be gay, but we're really not that much different than y'all. It can help break down some of the barriers. And helping us break down the barriers is a guy who's just written a really great book called Opening the Corporate Closet and helping to really transform that bias so that we can get some gay advancement in corporate America. His name is Kevin Jones. Don't hold it against him that he's a papa to Boston Terriers, like two of them, I think. Pippa and Birdie, something like that. I'm like, is this guy British or something? Because that would be like a British name. But I'm really excited to have Kevin on talking about his new book that came out in June. And hopefully, if you're struggling as a guy over 40, like, hey, maybe you're switching jobs. And oh, gosh, here we go again. Got to do this all over again. Hopefully, this will help. So Kevin, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm really excited to have you here. Well, thank you, Rick. It is it's great to be here today. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So you've got a coaching practice, Concilium Coaching, that really focuses in this world of LGBTQ and, you know, helping the community and, uh, you know, being out and being in the way that you want. But I feel like you had to have had some experiences in your own corporate worlds, like something's got to be done here. We got to do something to start opening the doors. So what was the impetus for like, hey, this book needs to come out of me, other than most of us have a book in us that needs to come out. But what was the real driver for you, man? Yeah, you know, it was um, it was the early days of the pandemic. I mean, literally like April 2020, and we had all shut down. I worked uh, with Ernst and Young. I was a leader mm-hmm. at Ernst and Young, and uh, we had all shut down. And so we were all working at home. We're getting these emails like you do in corporate America: organizational changes, staffing changes at high levels. And so what I noticed was those emails are kind of formulaic, and that's fine. You get the email that says, we welcome Rick Clemens to start leading up our oil and gas practice. Rick has X number of years of experience. This is what he's done. And then the last paragraph is always your personal thing. Rick Mm -hmm. is married to his wife, X, and they have three kids. And for some reason, maybe because I had too much time on my hands during the early days of the pandemic, but I started to notice that there were no emails that said Rick Clemens is married to Steve and he and his husband like doing X, Y, and Z. And it got me thinking about why and how we just take for granted that when you read those emails, it's going to be a man and a woman or a woman and a man in a leadership role, but it's always going to be opposite sex relationships. And it just got me thinking about why is that? Why aren't there more people like me at the top? I was an exception, very much an exception. 
And I yeah. never even thought about it at the time. But as I was looking at it, I thought, hey, why? What is it that we do to ourselves? What is it that others do to us that jeopardize our chances of moving up the corporate career ladder? And then what do we all need to do about it? LGBTQ allies, anybody else in corporate mm -hmm. America to focus on differentially investing in people like me, like we do with women and people of color. And with all of those ideas jumbling around, this book just kind of poured itself out as I started recognizing that more and more those biases aren't just others looking at us, but we also carry our own biases. And so the book just kind of gave birth to this two angled perception of how we see ourselves in this corporate America world and how others see us within it as well as we try to work our way up. It's such an interesting space. I, I mean, I, like you, I was in some pretty large organizations. I actually was in a really large company when I came out of the closet and I came out at 36. And in the midst of that, I was climbing that ladder. <clears throat> now mm -hmm. I will caveat this by saying <clears throat> the company I worked for was very open, welcoming in the middle of the nineties. So that was an exception even in its own self, mm -hmm. but to be going through the whole coming out journey in a company while I'm climbing the ladder talk about oh my gosh you know am i going to lose my job because of this now we're yeah. also in acquisition mode or being acquired mode so i wasn't overly concerned but i did wonder is this going to be the thing that's going to put my nail in the coffin quicker mm -hmm. it didn't i was very blessed but it always kind of hung out in my mind right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then i got my golden parachute had a year off <clears throat> finally i'm like okay i need to do something can't just live on golden parachute for the rest of your <laughs> life. It was a good one, but it wasn't that good. And of course, the first thing that starts crossing my mind as I'm starting to interview and look at things is like, oh my gosh, I have to go through this all over again. Yeah. Yeah. But what I was going to go through this time was fresh, quote, fresh meat, no pun intended, guys, <laughs> because I'd had such a welcoming environment in my last role that I'm like, what's going to happen, right? In the very first interview with the company that I finally ended up working with, they asked the question, so tell us about yourself. Yep. Typical question, right? Mm -hmm. We'd already done like the accomplishments. So they said, tell us something personal about yourself that you think would really help us really get to know you. And I literally said, I'm gay. I have two children and I have a partner who is wonderful. Mm -hmm. This was a company based in Orange County, California. So we were behind the orange curtain, <laughs> which in gay terms, everybody kind of gets that whole thing, right? It was one of the boldest moves other than coming out of the closet late in life that I think I'd ever made. Because I'd gotten to a point, Kevin, where I didn't care. Because if that was going to be a definitive thing, then I wasn't your guy. Absolutely. That is that is so well said. You know, you, you you touch on several things that I touch on in the book, but which are so near and dear to my heart. And the first one that you're talking about is that added layer of what we have to think about before an interview, yep. before yep. we say anything. How comfortable are we saying it? What could that do? There's a lot of energy that goes into that worrying and planning. Right. Whereas if it's a straight person being asked, tell me about yourself, you just jump right into it. Yep. And so we got it. We going on and we got to figure out how often are, am I going to tweak what I'm going to say based on my audience and how mm -hmm. is it important is it to me? But you used to mention something else that I think is really critically important, which is um, when we reach that point finally and however we get there where we don't give a shit anymore. Because mm -hmm. until we 
reach that point, it does matter. It matters so much, whether it's because we need the job, we need this next job, we need this next promotion, whatever it is. If we are so concerned about whether our sexuality is going to matter, we start to risk shooting ourselves in the foot for those opportunities mm-hmm. because we're not going to be as authentic in the way we present ourselves. It's yep. only when you have that epiphany that it does not matter anymore that you're able to fully be authentic in those conversations. Well, it even came down in my my first book. So I raised this interesting juncture in my business because after after that company I talked about in Orange County, I worked for them for six years five years or six years. And then they laid me off. I'm always afraid to go on vacations because that was the last job that I came back from vacation. They laid me off. I'm like, okay, is this going to happen again? Now I have my own company, but I do work for another company as their lead coach. So I always have that fear like, okay, I'm going to come back from a a trip and they're going to say, bye-bye. You're out of here. I'm gone. But as I started to work through this, the book's getting ready to come out. And I decided I'm going to change my practice slightly. I'm going to take the Life Uncloseted podcast, which is my other podcast. I'm going to open it to more other coming out stories, like coming out of cancer and all this stuff to show the the parallels. I wanted to really start showing how similar we are as humans versus the differences. And the whole brand started to expand too. Like, hey, I'm not just going to be the gay man's life coach or the coming out coach. I'm going to be like really empowering people to dump Mm -hmm. their excuses, face their fears and live their lives unapologetically. Bigger brand, right? Well, here sits, frankly, my dear, I'm gay, the book. I'm like, okay, well, do I execute this now or am I going to shoot myself in the foot by putting Mm. that book out right now as I'm making this transition? Mm. And it was one of those moments like, it's kind of like going into a company. I either say, yes, I'm going to show myself fully or I'm going to hide this. And I said, nope, I'm going to show it fully because in so many ways, that book was the basis of the new brand coming to life of we're not that much different, folks. We're very, very similar. Yeah. And I think this is what we all face in our work on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. What did you do this weekend? What did you and your wife do? If somebody's brand new doesn't know, then you got to have that awkward moment, right? Yeah, that that is, and it's what I call gay decision diamonds. Uh, when you're standing at the figurative water cooler these days, when you think yeah. of the old days, you know, you walked into the kitchen, the office on a Monday morning, what'd you do over the weekend, right? And you see somebody and every person you see, you make a, assessments about what you're going to tell them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. first of all do they you know, hey what'd you do this weekend kevin decision diamond one do they know i'm gay yes no right. if yes then this if no then this, no, so then this. this yeah. series mm-hmm. of yes and no's and it all happened in a split second but it's exhausting i know i keep using it but there it's exhausting if you're not fully out to decide what you're going to tell and when you make a no in that decision diamond. And mm-hmm. so you're either going to say, oh, yeah, so I'm going to have a great weekend skiing or, right. oh, I just hung out with some friends. Yep. Yep. And you make all those split second decisions based on how concerned you are about mm-hmm. what the other person would think of you if they knew who you really were. Yep. I just literally came back from a vacation which you and I were talking about before we started recording and <clears throat> I did my first comedy routine and it was all LGBTQ <laughs> crew I have a gay co-worker he, he's actually on my team and and um he's like oh I want to see it I'm like I'm warning you it's it's not <laughs> it is not suitable for work so make sure and he lives in Spain so it's not we we're all remote so it's not like a different right 
I just love him to death. So he he watches and he goes, "Oh, you're filthy." <laughs> well, thank Which you. got me thinking, like, okay, wow. If I were to have to go get a job, do I want that video to be seen? So of course I put it on YouTube <laughs> in the boy. You can't see it unless you you have the code, right? right? Yeah. <clears throat> but again, those are those little moments. Even as I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to do this thing on stage, but what if some of my coworkers are to actually see it? Mm -hmm. So some have asked. I'm like, I'm very selective. I work for a very lovely company. A lot of them are very lovely, good people, Christian people. I'm like, mm -mm. some of them would not know what to do with half the crap I said on that stage. But, um, you know, it, it's those moments, you know, as a father, uh, I had those yeah. moments raising my kids, well, like, yeah. you know, yeah. showing up at schools and parent teacher conferences. And, and it, it is one of those things that just keeps pushing the button, pushing the button, pushing the button. Mm -hmm. So as you started to pull all of this together and starting to realize, hey, we it's more about having conversations and showing the the realness of who we are as humans. What is one of the things that you feel like you in those upper level echelons could really do as a gay man to help change the bias that shows up? What's something that somebody could do in their own workplace? Yeah, yeah I think the first thing is as hard as this can be, depending on the nature of your work and the culture, is is to be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes work. It takes action. But all it takes is work within yourself. You're not having to address anybody else's behavior. You're not having to address the culture. You're just being who you are and setting the example because so many people are watching you and you don't ever yeah. know how many, but if you just affect one more junior person who is questioning whether they should come out at work and they see somebody like you out and proud at the senior levels, maybe they'll come out, maybe they won't, but at least they'll know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's and, the biggest thing is to, to help people feel like they're not alone, yeah. you know? Right. I, when I started working for this company I work for now, I mean, I was one of the initial team members, but that was definitely, I was definitely the only LGBTQ person on the team, you know? And I kind of, kind of walked on some quote pins and needles, so to speak, but I wasn't hiding myself. I knew when to like rein it in, but now I can openly like, just talk about, you know, my husband, everybody on the team, pretty much everybody on the team has met my husband um because we happened to go to a team retreat and george and i spent time in austin for the weekend prior to that and then briefly we, at the day the retreat started he met a good majority of the team mm. they've never you know i know there's some on the team that's still like i don't know if i can do this but i'll tolerate it right and that's okay that's them that's not for me to fix and that's yeah. for them to yeah. contend with but i would never hide it because if i hide it then I'm not being me. And when I'm not being me, I don't, I'm not as productive. I'm not as creative. I'm not as happy. That's for damn sure. And I think these are the things of, I love that. That's where you say you start, be your authentic self. I think for everybody that's different. And I will never tell somebody you have to be out at work. That is do it that the way it. you need to do it for you. And that's such a great point, Rick. I'm so glad you brought that up because I would never tell anybody that either. And it's so important to say what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you, mm -hmm. you or your listeners. It's right. all about what is it that makes you feel authentic where you're not having to expend all of this energy 
trying to anticipate and second guess what is going to be pleased is going to please someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the critical thing is what can you do for yourself that lets you be most productive, lets you put your energy into some positive ways at work. And I also get right. Like the answer for everybody is not to be out because you may work somewhere. Chances are over 50% of people work somewhere where it's not okay to be gay. Yep. And so I'm not saying go do something that get that risks your job. It's unfortunate that that's the world that we live in. I appreciate yep. that. Yeah, don't go do, don't go do a filthy dirty nasty comedy routine. Right, don't do a, don't do a comedy in, I think you need to give everybody an access code to that to that. Nope. So ain't happening. Uh, <laughs> ain't happening. <laughs> but I do think Although that, it's funny my team members that I knew like okay, I I know you would be good with it. They're just loving it. I'm like Really? I'm kind of, I mean, they're not, they're not fruits, but, but I'm like, two of them were female coworkers. I'm like, I'm telling you, this is, this is not like, you know, it's not pure by any sense of the word. One of them is actually my boss and she watched it. I love her to death. I mean, hello, she's a Catholic gal married to a Jew. So there we go. Um, you know, but I was just like, yes, I would not share that sort of stuff, but I also, came back so energized from pushing mm-hmm. myself to a limit and because i'm a professional public speaker i'm like hey i get to work with some pretty good comics one of them was mm-hmm. i mean i don't know how many people actually know him but in the gay world alec mappa was one oh, of yeah. the guys that was our comedy workshop people and i'm like when do you get a chance to work with somebody like that you know and he was like oh my god i can't believe this is your first one and he goes you were freaking amazing and then he's and you were nasty. I'm like, okay, great. And he's nasty. So I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, pot call kettle black there. But um, <laughs> but I I think you're right. It's this uh, actually, this reminds me of a time I haven't talked about this in a long time. I used to speak on P flag panels at colleges and universities, and one of my fellow speakers, lesbian, she talked about this very thing. She goes, I'm not out at work. She goes, not because mm-hmm. I'm ashamed, mm-hmm. and she was fairly high up. She said, yes, we live in California, and so we should feel pretty protected. But if somebody wants to get rid of you because of you being gay or lesbian or whatever, they don't have to get rid of you for that. They'll find another way. And she worked for one of the big consulting firms, and she's like, you know, I just feel better not you know, talking about this stuff. And I I had students in the audience that would go, well, da, 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 da. and I finally one night I was like, I'm done with you little 1920 <laughs> somethings thinking you have this all figured out. And I said, How about if you were in that position and you knew what if that you were gonna get kicked out of this college because you were LGBTQ? Do you think you'd be so boisterous? You might not. Beautiful. Beautiful question. And and here's the thing, right? You, I, I don't know about you. I remember at 19, I had it all figured out. I do the answer to everything. Right. And then the older I get, the more I realize, I don't know jack shit, right? And so... Oh, I don't I think, know about that. I'm 60 and I, let me tell you, I'm God, honey. So no, <laughs> yeah, maybe by the, well, I got a couple of years left. Maybe by that I will feel that way, but you know, it's, it's, it's such a, an interesting point. Right. And, and, and I say this for such a great, great group of people listening who are over 40, who they're bringing more baggage to the work situation as well. Yep. Yep. People who are 22, 23 right now, I, I'm in awe and admiration of them in a way because I think this next generation doesn't care. Just like Stonewall did it for us, mm-hmm. 
We're doing things to pass it on. This generation is benefiting from all the generations who have come before yeah. them, and they are less concerned about that generally. I know a lot of people yeah. still are, but as a generation, it matters less to them, and I'm so proud of that. That does not negate the fact that people in our 40s and 50s, we bring 30, 40 years of generational baggage that tells us something different about exactly. how corporate America would would react to us if we were our authentic selves. And that's why mm -hmm. we are making those gay decision diamonds because we don't always feel comfortable being out. And one of the reasons that the reason that you mentioned this, this friend of yours brought up is one of the main reasons I talk about in the book that people stay closeted. They know that they may not get fired for being gay, but the organization will find another reason because performance mm -hmm. can be subjective. Yep. And it absolutely can. And I think when you can, <clears throat> when you can find that insight and not let that energetically drain you like, okay, this is, this is what's going to work for now yeah, and let it move you forward, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the students, again, back to that situation, she said to her one night, and this was a different night. She said, so how do you explain to people why, you know, you have a wedding band on nice big wedding ring with a diamond. How do you explain that? And she goes, I just talk about it as my partner. Well, okay, but what if somebody asks you about your husband? I just say, yeah, my husband, my partner's great. Mm. They're like, well, don't you think partner indicates? I'm like, let it indicate whatever Maybe. they want. Yeah. Let it indicate whatever it is. Nice. She goes, what I what mm. I have in my own personal life is my own business. She goes, I'm not asking anybody what's going on in their personal life. So it's always an interesting thing, but I think this is where we as an LGBTQ community need to also honor one of the things that we have fought for the hardest is to be ourselves in our own way. And nothing mm -hmm. frustrates me more than when somebody in the LGBTQ world says, well, this is how you do gay or this is how you do lesbian. And this is how you need. Okay. That's mm -hmm. how you want to. That's great. That's what's going to work for you. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole conversation when we get into conversations about open relationships versus monogamous. Oh, whatever yeah, works for you is what works for you, but don't hold it against the other person that if that's how they choose to do their relationship. And I think there's so many parallels to all of this when you really start to look at like how do you advance? I'm not going to say the gay agenda, <laughs> that's fighting words right there. <clears throat> but how do you advance this acceptance in the workplace? It's as simple as if somebody asks you something, be as candid as you choose to be. One of the first times I was really candid was at my kids, my daughter's school. And we had just, I had just moved in with my husband and we were living in Riverside, California. My youngest, it was her kindergarten year. My oldest, it would have been her fourth grade year. And I'm like, okay, this is one of those gay decision diamond moments, right? Mm -hmm. How out do I want to be in school? And we went to the parent-teacher conferences, and my ex-wife was part of the equation at that time. And I said to her, I said, I'm going to pull the teachers aside, and I'm going to tell them about my life. Not my lifestyle, folks. My life. <laughs> and I was really nervous about it, Kevin, because it's like, this could change a lot of things, right? Of course, it didn't. So because I worked from home, <laughs> I volunteered quite a bit at my kids' schools the whole time they were you know, growing up. But that very first year, I volunteered to do some stuff and I walk in and this is not meant to be degrading, but it's me and the soccer moms, right? It's all the mommies, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. We're working on some stuff and one of the moms says, so what did you and your wife do this weekend? 
And I said, well, my husband and I went wine tasting in Temecula. And I just kept doing my thing. <laughs> it was almost like there was a hurrah. Oh, look, we have our gay daddy. We have our gay. <laughs> Everything's going to be fabulous now. <laughs> yes, the there was a couple that right? were like, yeah. eh, but I'm like, and it was, it was one of those moments where it's like, I'm glad I just kind of let it be very casual. I didn't make it. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my husband and I did this. What yeah. you and your husband do. Now I could make that assumption about them. And, and it was interesting because one of the other wives said, well, I don't have a husband. We're divorced. Of course. And she's like, because he's a son of a bitch. And da-da-da. I'm like, okay, well, good. Now the heat's off of me. Let's go to yeah, the divorce, right? But, but to your point, you, 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 you broke the ice yeah. and you allowed others. This is what I think is so fascinating about it. By doing that, I mean, that could have gone a million directions, but by doing mm-hmm. that, you also allowed others that space to be more authentic as well. Maybe that other woman who was divorced would have said something. Maybe not. Maybe but you, not. You, exactly. you took it to a new level by being uh, by being clear about who you were and unapologetic about it. And you know, and, well, I, and I think the oh, good, yeah. No, I was just going to say you have such great insight on this because it is about just what we give other people permission to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, I exactly. mean, to think about it in the workplace. And I had this interesting conversation with another guest who was on not long ago. Um, can't think of his last name, but Jim, he, he has a book similar to yours that just came out, All Pride, No Ego. Mm-hmm. And he used to work in, I mean, he worked in Hollywood. He was part of the studios. He he had, he was, I think he ran the Disney stores at one point in time as well. So he's, he's had, like you, lots of high level corporate positions. And I remember him saying, if I hid who I was, I wouldn't have been valued in my workplace. He goes, they saw me for who I truly was. And that was one of the things that helped keep me. He got, it was not that it was easy, not mm-hmm. that it was easy whatsoever. But he said, the more I let myself be myself, the more they saw me for the value I brought to the company because I was willing to do everything. And he said, mm-hmm. think about it this way. By me being who I am, somebody else could say, oh, I'm Muslim mm-hmm. or I'm this or I'm this. Because that's what brings the beautiful melting pot of diversity into the world and into the workplace. Yes. I'm just, I'm nodding. I'm nodding feverishly. Yes. And, and to that point about the diversity and uh, it's, it is diversity in the workforce in order to have many ideas and points of view represented. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing. If you at the senior levels of an organization only have other straight white men or straight white women sitting around the table giving you advice, yep. or you're getting advice from people who are just like you, you're going to get a narrow range of options. Yep. Whereas if you get that diversity, gay person, Muslim, whoever they are, you're going to get points of view that you would have never even thought of because your life mm-hmm. experiences are totally different to those people who bring their own experiences to it through the lens of that gay person, that Muslim, yeah. that Jewish person, whoever it is. And so that diversity actually creates much more of a creative environment to think of difficult of solutions to difficult problems because you're approaching it through different ways that you wouldn't have thought of before because you're getting all of that input from so many different types of people. Absolutely. So what do you think is, I mean, we've talked about like the assumption of the spouse bias. That's just, that's like a really common one, right? Or that you have, I mean, so it's interesting. I was talking to a girlfriend of mine who her and her husband have, they've decided, nope, no kids, no kids. 
And she goes, Oh my God, Rick, the bias that I get because I'm choosing not to have a family. You think I committed a crime? Well, in some states you have because you, <laughs> your home state to be one of those, but we won't go there. Um, but it's, it, it is interesting to see that stuff, right? So what is one of the biases? You know, we've talked about the the spouse, that sort of stuff. What's another bias you see in, in corporate that really is something that, man, if we could just fix that one, it would really move us forward. You know, I'm going to say again, in Texas, but this is true. I've had coaching clients from across the country where they encounter religious bias in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And yep. it's shocking that it actually happens at this level. But I have, I had one client who uh, a woman approached him in the hall. He was out. He was totally out comfortable with his life. She approached him in the hallway and asked if she could pray over him. Mm. And I, yeah, it was in a coaching environment. And I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I thought about going to HR, but this was the HR director. Mm. And so you encounter this religious bias in the workplace. Yeah. And how do you, nobody wants to get in a, a religious spiritual debate at work about what somebody's beliefs are, but you also don't want those beliefs imposed on you. Right. And somehow driving people's perception of your performance and capability to do the job. And so what I think often happens, maybe more here in the South, but again, wherever people um, have, you know, have a deep faith in religion and believe a certain way about that faith, they can insinuate it into their beliefs around performance mm -hmm. and performance metrics and who's the right fit for the role. Yep. And if you don't fit their their mold of what the Bible says, um, you're probably not going to be very successful if that person's in a position of power. And so right. there's this religious bias that says um, the Bible says being gay is wrong, and I can't separate that from how I view you as an employee in this company. Mm. It's so interesting because <clears throat> I was talking to – I'm trying to think who this was. It was a few months ago. I was talking to a group of, I guess it was a, it was at one of our gatherings for like an LGBTQ thing. I think that's the where I saw it. Yes, it was. Um, talking to this guy and, and he's like, so I had something really interesting happen in the workplace, which was interesting because right after that, you showed up on my radar and then Jim who wrote no pride, no ego. I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. This was divine intervention. Right. He said, I had something ha interesting happen in the workplace, not to me, but to another gay person. He said, this person is very gay, not like flaming queer, but just he's gay. He doesn't hide it at all, but he's also very much a faith-based person. He's very much a Christian. He, he believes in that. And one of his coworkers said, I don't understand you. And of course, his assumption was the gay. I don't understand how you can claim to be gay and gay, but claim to be Christian because those two don't match. No wonder you're so confused about how to do things at work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, the interweaving, right? It's like, because of this and this, this is why you're not. And this is why I think sometimes the boundaries of crossing over. And I have an interesting coaching client in my public speaking world and i i never say anything to him about it because i don't want to get into a debate with him and not not it's not what you all think what once i share this you'll understand it he wants to speak 
to organizations about what if you left everything at the door and you just had people show up to do their work? You left religion, you left sexuality, you left their culture, you left everything at the door. I'm like, well, then you'd be robots. That's my first thought. But it is kind of an interesting concept. What if none of that was part of the workplace environment and you just did your work? I think it'd be a pretty fucking boring place to work, but that's just my opinion. But it is interesting. Like if none of that was there, what would happen? Because yeah. there wouldn't there wouldn't be any contention. Of course, there'd be contention about other stuff, but it is an interesting concept of like, what do you do that? Now I have another one of those speaking clients. He has a really interesting concept of what if you got equity and diversity and inclusion by being curious about people's culture and not what it brings that's negative. He goes, for instance, he works in a, an environment where it's very diverse. It's a, okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to sound a little bit like, xenophobic, racist, whatever you want to say. He works in an environment where there's a lot of ethnic people because he works mm -hmm. in engineering and technology. So, you mm -hmm. know, there's Chinese, Indian, all this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And he, got, and he said, but one of the things that we do is when somebody new comes on, we invite them so that we can get to better get to know them and where they're from. We invite them to, for the next potluck, to bring their favorite, favorite heritage dish. Mm -hmm. And he goes, we have potlucks once a week to the potluck. So that we can learn to understand it. Why is this their favorite dish? Who in their world used to make it? Give us kind of the, he said, it's such an interesting thing because guess what? Food brings people together. It's pretty hard unless, you know, okay, I'm, there's certain foods I don't like, but it's like, hey, at least you gave it a try, right? And I think it's just an interesting way of how do you bring all this together and help people start having the conversations. So. And such a great point about how to bring people together when there is so much more like food, gathering around a table for a meal, those fundamental things, shelter. There's so much more that fundamentally brings us together. Mm -hmm. And we get so fixated on that super thin layer of the things that are different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it can it just it creates this environment where we aren't curious to your point, mm. if we were just curious about other people, about their cultures, about yep. what makes them who they are, if we were curious to understand and open that space to just hear what they had to say, rather than come into it with preconceived notions about somebody who's Indian or who's gay or who's Jewish or whatever it is, how much more might we learn because we're open to learning through that curiosity? One of the things, I, so I work, you know, as I said, I work for a small company besides having my own business. There's... 43 of us. So not small, small, but <clears throat> on the grand scale of things, a small company. And we meet every two weeks. We get on Zoom. We have company, you know, get togethers. And because we're all remote, we, there is no water cooler to gather around. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we do, and we're coming up on, I'm sure we'll do this either next week or the week after, right before Thanksgiving. One of the things that always comes up is, okay, let's talk about everybody's favorite Thanksgiving food or tradition <laughs> or whatever, right? It's such a beautiful insight. Because you hear, you know, you're going to expect turkey dressing, but then somebody will throw this curveball. Like, you know, I always throw like, I love, I love making my cranberry and Brussels sprout with bacon and bourbon <laughs> mustard dish. And everybody's like, where is that? I'm like, well, girls, I'm from the South. <laughs> and we do things a little different in the South. You know, I'm like, we put pecans in that. They're like, we have never heard you talk like that. I'm like, 
Yes, because I've worked very hard <laughs> to break out of. of but the let, veil. Me tell, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what, girl. <laughs> you know, bless your heart. Fuck off. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's so interesting. But so, oh. what's the greatest thing that you've learned for yourself? And like, I, I think birthing a book is like birthing a child. Even though I, mm. well, I, I have children, but I didn't birth them. What's the greatest lesson you've learned through this experience, Kevin? I'm bringing this beautiful book into being. You know, I think the thing, one thing was practical. I thought when you wrote a book, you wrote the book, and then you had an editor edit it, and they would send you some nice changes, and then you would fit, make those changes, and then you were done. Oh, bless so, your heart. <laughs> bless your little naive heart. I learned the hard way that oh. I, I got my draft done, sent it off to the editor, and it may as well have come back ripped up into mm -hmm. shreds for me to yep. put back together. And so the first thing I learned was what a thick skin you have to be, that you have to mm -hmm. have in order to be a writer. And make sure you have um, plenty was, of your favorite cocktail handy. <laughs> I told Simon, my husband, keep the glasses in the freezer. I'm going to need a Tangeray martini as yeah, soon as I go day. through this edit, right? And so yeah. all of that. And once you get through that, it's good, but you have to accept that you're going to mm -hmm. go through this process that is longer than the actual writing of the book mm -hmm. for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the other thing sort of more, sort of more at a, at a spiritual level, you talk about um, gay and Christian and, and there is this notion, like it's like Venn diagram. There's Christian over here and gay over here and there's no overlap. Yeah. And uh, I grew up surprised Southern Baptist in Texas. Mm. Uh, now I'm Episcopalian. Um, but what I learned about myself in writing this book and its law of unintended consequences is how strong my own faith is because I was challenged by people mm. at almost that same question you mentioned. How can you be gay and Christian? How can you write a book about this when you're espousing things that go against the Bible? And without getting into all the things that every one of us does every day that goes against some verse of the Bible— the point is, my faith is my own faith. And um, I would go to church and ponder over the sermons and over the liturgy as I'm writing this book and realize how much stronger I was growing in my faith because what I was doing in the book back to, to my fellow humans. Mm -hmm. And at the heart of it, that's what it feels, that's what it's like for me to be a Christian is mm -hmm. what am I doing to give back uh, in this spirit of servanthood for my fellow human beings. Oh, it's it's definitely a spiritual journey. I didn't realize how much I was in that space because I'm like, oh, let's just, I'm just going to write kind of my quote memoir book about coming out late in life. And right at the time I started writing, I was also getting certified as a coach. I'm like, well, I'm going to be coaching men, mostly men in midlife coming out. Let's make this kind of practical. Here's the story piece. Now, here's what you do. Here's the story piece. Here, you know, so it became kind of a how-to manual as well as a memoir. And about halfway through, I was working with my book coach. I'm like, I'm done. I just, I don't, I don't want to do this, right? And she said, okay, don't. <laughs> of course, I wanted to slap her. I'm like, well, I've written this much, you know. And she said, go start writing book number two. I'm like, what are you talking about? I haven't even got book number one done. And it was really good advice because what she was inviting me to do is like get out of my head and do something completely different because I needed that cleansing of I'm getting stuck in stuff. <clears throat> and about that time, I hit some financial struggles. 
And I thought, you know what? If I can dig myself out of this book and keep going, I can dig myself out of the financial struggles. And I've found even with the second book, similar thing. It took me much longer to write the second book, um, partially because I thought, oh, COVID hits. Guess what? I'll get this book done in no time flat. And then I didn't because suddenly the company I work for, we got really super busy because everybody decided they're going to become a public speaker. Thank God. Kept us afloat. And I'm like, people had a lot of time on their hands. Like, well, my friend told me, my grandma told me I was a really good speaker. I'm like, honey, you're not. But thank God for the Bless money you paid us. Bless your heart. Thank you. But um, it was interesting to watch me over the last three years go through this like deeper dive, like really questioning who am I? What am I to be talking about about this? Why this now? And I'm still not done. I mean, I'm just starting the brutal process of like, let's get a publisher. You know, let's really go get that right. publisher, which means resilience, lots of rejection, mm -hmm. tr trusting the process and like, where do you want to go with this? So, um, but I, I, I love hearing that part of your journey because in the corporate struggle to be who you are, it's still that reaching deep within yourself on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure even doing your coaching yourself, it's like, well, you know, let's see, is this client going to sign up or are they not? And does that mean I'm a piece of crap or I'm not? It, it has nothing to do with it. It's just not the right fit at that moment. So that's that's exactly it you know this is a coach right it's got to be the right fit you have the chemistry yep. discussion you've got to have it and it and it's got to be both ways i'm not going to mm -hmm. take a client who i don't feel like i can work with um but to your point it's not personal it is personal in that the coaching relationship is so personal but yep. at the same time you have to know like you said so well you have to know yourself well enough and be comfortable with yourself well enough to trust the process that if this is meant to be, then we'll both agree to it. If not, then let's move it's on to okay. the next one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So well, I'm going to let you go so you can get book number two oh. finished. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably like, uh, no, not not starting <laughs> that yet. Mm. Yeah. But I <laughs> no, won't be surprised you. if you get that itch again, man, because it, it, there is something about it that, mm -hmm. okay, I got that. Like when I had the first podcast, I'm like, well, I'd really like a second one. And now I've got two. I'm like, what am I thinking? But I love it. This is this is the one thing I'm like, you can take everything else away. You can take the kids. No, you can't take the kids. Well, you can take the husband. No, you can't really take the husband away. But you can take anything, other parts of my business away. And between my writing and my podcast, mm -mm. Mm, no, you got to take those away. Those, yeah. Well, and my, yeah. Uh, yeah, I laugh because my therapist tells me I should write another book. She, the things she hears in therapy sessions, like, oh, yeah, you definitely have another book coming, but we'll see maybe one day. But uh, I have really, really enjoyed being here today, Rick, and just laughing and, and talking with you. And I hope, I hope the, the folks out there listening have got something out of it. I too. think they will, because I think this is an important conversation for guys in their mid midlife as a gay man. It's like, one point you just got to realize because there's lots of tra transitions, job transitions still happening, you know, yeah. 40, 50. I actually talked to a guy on the cruise who's like, yeah, I, you know, he's mid fifties. He's like, yeah, I just interviewed for a new job right before I came on. And, yeah. you know, you never stop. You don't you know. You don't. And if and Republicans get their way, we'll be working till what, 70 now, 75 70, before we Yeah, 70 and back in the closet. What a, what yeah, a fun exactly. world that'll be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All those that are passing, I'm like, well, you're 85, so you really should be retired, okay? You should, you need to go bye-bye. 
You're 72. You need to go bye-bye. But anyway, here's your gold watch. Here's your gold watch and go take your cross with it. But anyway, um, but anyway, well, Kevin, again, all the best. If somebody wants to Thank get you. the book, where's the best places to find it? I'm assuming most of the books are available. Yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, surprisingly, Target, other places as well. Those awesome. are the top three. You can find it. And uh, if you wanted to get in touch with me, you can do it at uh, connectwithkev.com. Well, look at you being so quick with the wit. Like, <laughs> hey, that's an easy one to remember. Connectwithkev.com. Yeah, that's, I'm surprised that's a smart thing. Taken, what, right? I, I don't know if you know, and of course, you know, as I'm 60, these names go out out of my mind. But um, there's another gay coach who's been on the podcast. He has a, a gay leadership dude. And um, he gave me some of the best advice about books. And what he said is, go buy Rick on Amazon.com and point it to your author page on Amazon. I'm like, that was some of the best advice I ever got. Because, hey, if you want to find my book, go to RickOnAmazon.com and boom, you'll see it right there. Of course, I'm like, well, then what about Barnes Noble? (laughs) So I'm just like, it's wherever you can find it. Yeah. Hello, GoDaddy. Yeah. Hello, Daddy. Hello, GoDaddy. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Hello, Daddy. We won't get into that conversation, but (laughs) it's something I hear many times these days. But, you know, when I started hearing hello, Grandpa, then I'm like, okay, we're done. We are done. You're out. But anyway, (laughs) well, I'm so glad we got to have this conversation, Kevin. And for any of you guys that are listening, because I just really believe in Kevin's message, if one of you would like to get his book, please email me directly, Rick at rickclemens.com say i heard you on the podcast i'd love a copy of kevin's book i will send you a copy on my dime because i believe in spreading the love so um make sure somebody reach out now listen guys i know some of you do this and every time you try you've already got a book you've already got one you get one offer one offer (laughs) so let somebody else get a book but um anyway hopefully that'll help a little bit too kevin and again thank you for sharing and being part of my world and sharing with my guys I'm sure this will help somebody who is like, yeah, I needed, I needed to hear this today. So thanks again, buddy. Thank you, Rick. Great to be here. Thank you. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where the conversations continue.